Welcome to Pickle Me This, the officially unofficial podcast for Rick and Morty on Cartoon Network's Adult Swim. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm Aaron. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, we're talking about Season 1, Episode 2, Lawnmower Dog. Here's Aaron with the recap. On this episode of Rick and Morty, the Smith family struggles with their dog Snuffle's bladder control, with Rick inventing a helmet that grants the dog near-human levels of intelligence to get Jerry off his back. Rick then concocts a scheme to enter Morty's math teacher's dreams to incept the idea that Morty should have perfect grades to keep the boy's parents off his back. While eventually successful, Rick returns to the Smith household to find Snuffles, now going by his chosen name of Snowball, has developed super intelligence, canine battle armor, and has liberated pets across the globe while enslaving the newly servile humans. Rick uses his dream inception technology to convince Snowball that oppressing humans will only lead to further heartbreak. Snowball then leads his newly freed army of super dogs through a portal to establish an independent world of neo-canines. So what would you think of the episode? I thought it's a really good episode of Rick and Morty. Um, I do, before we go further, I want to mention that like this is the first episode that has a post-credit stinger, mm-hmm. and I did not find that out until I was halfway through season two. So anyone that's just joining us for the first time or maybe has made it through Rick and Morty and has always switched off at the credits, shame on you because you've probably got another hour's worth of content to go through at the end of the credits. <laughs> so, so fast forward through the credits if you don't give a shit about artists. Uh, and, and watch that stinger because they're, they're pretty good. They're pretty good. I thought that the episode itself is good. It combines like is kind of, um, a hallmark of Rick and Morty pop culture elements that we're all kind of familiar with and is in the zeitgeist mm-hmm. and fun and entertaining ways. Um, I thought some of the visual gags were really funny. Like the first time, uh, Rick puts the helmet on Snuffle's head and he, he says, go to the bathroom and the dog like walks off kind of like the way like babe, uh, you know, does his calm routine with the sheep and he's goes off screen. And then you hear like a toilet flush and he comes back. I thought that was fun. And then in the dog dystopia uh, that the episode kind of closes with the, the dumpsters full of human testicles uh, the the picture of the dog or the the scene of the dogs playing poker and uh-huh. on the wall is a picture of the humans playing poker that has an also picture of dogs playing poker so it's like a dog poker inception dogception yeah yeah dogception I I thought those were uh, all great all great uh, my my favorite part is when they're coming out of the dream sequences uh, with scary Terry's help. Uh, and he gets to the Minotaur and he says, those two pieces don't belong together and slices them in half. Right. Like good the, stuff. Yeah. The whole, like him, like breaking through all the different de- dream levels and yeah. like, you know, shutting all that shit down on every single level of inception. That was pretty, yeah, pretty good. good. Yeah. And speaking of scary Terry, uh, I wonder it's so close to Sammy Terry, which is like uh, I think you were maybe a little too young for it, but that yeah. was like the the Indiana, the Central Indiana version of like the classic horror host, the local broadcast on Friday nights would show King Kong okay. and Godzilla and the Blob, and and I know that there's a lot of Midwest connections to uh, like especially Dan Harmon. A lot of you know he's from the Milwaukee region, and I think a lot of that. I I wonder if some of that cross-pollinated because it's just so so close but also it could just be rhyming scary terry you can't use freddy krueger right um but yeah no it's uh it's it was really entertaining it's a pretty callback heavy episode too um i don't know if this will continue going forward uh where they do a lot of callbacks but 
a lot of the lines with the you don't know me that kind of thing mm-hmm. and then uh the dog saying oh i think he's saying i love lasagna and they bring that back uh with jerry at the end yeah i, I like callbacks I, yeah. I think they work really well and the show knows how to use them yeah but, but there were a lot of them this time mm-hmm. one of the other themes that i sort of noticed uh a couple of themes obviously and they're sort of siloed up around like inception and lawnmower man um on the inception side you have sort of a lot of shots at fandoms and i don't i don't know how far to read into this but there's you know stuff as someone who has recorded an entire podcast on figuring out the plot of inception i feel like i should take it personally (laughs) when when dan and justin very much seem to be against that idea like you're not smart if you figured it out it doesn't make sense anyway it's a stupid thing don't talk about it but like the the whole culture around it kind of got that way so yeah like i i feel them yeah there was like and well it's it must be a really double dose of irony because like the classic rick and morty copy pasta which is like you know rick and morty is a very intelligent show and you have to have a high iq to understand it like is a little bit of the same kind of variety yeah, of, yeah. of of the what went around in like the fandom culture around Inception, where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, if you like Inception, you must be a really smart person, or it's it's kind of like uh, the dumb action movie version of like a thinking person's movie, sure. which I actually like. You know, as as I I liked Inception, I think yeah. it is like a puzzle box movie that definitely has a solution, mm-hmm. um, and uh, but it's that's that's an interesting thing, Dan, because like I think I've heard enough uh, Harmontown to know that he's definitely ranted about inception a time or two but like you know it's a comedy show and i think those it's like comes from a real place of like you know maybe uh obviously especially when we're watching it the first time uh, there are a few like i'm not sure what's going on here and if this all tracks through that Mm -hmm. might be cleared up on multiple watches but like then you know why should you have to watch something multiple times to get it but on on the other hand like also uh making movies is hard and i know that uh, the, the writing stories is hard and getting your point of view across uh, accurately is hard and what the fan community does with that work once it's out of your hands is out of your hands and sometimes regrettable so i'm sure a lot it of it's is, played yeah. up for comic effect and you know for sure but i also think like there's an element of that to anything that captures the imagination including rick and morty mm-hmm. like you were saying like yeah those fandoms exist because something has so enthralled them they can't help but talk about it they can't yeah. help but think about it and yeah. that's what rick and morty's going for right. and i think it succeeds on that level so it's almost i wonder if they'll ever address like some sort of meta rick and morty fandom kind of thing within the show because it's come become very big in the past oh, few years for sure and, uh, you know, as far as Inception, I thought some of the f- the more clever jokes is when they're talking about how each level of dream time slows down by a hundred times and then dog years yeah. go is one seventh. <laughs> and it's like, if that is stupid and doesn't make sense, then your favorite movie is stupid too. So <laughs> right. like, it's like just uh, somehow like the way like Rick is just so relentlessly gleefully spiteful about it. And, uh, and, and yet when he crawls into, uh, the, the window of, of Morty's teacher's house, he's like, uh Oh, spoilers, Morty. Uh, I'm a season behind. Right, yeah. So it's like <laughs> so he's not, clearly he's not he above cares. pop culture. Right, right, right. And this doesn't seem like a really particularly smart television show. Like, it's, like, very callback. Like, it's very – it's, oh, it's one yeah. of those, like, old, like, mid-'90s UPNs where it's it's got a very – or, like, uh, 
you know, Steve Urkel. Did I do that? You right. got a character with you got uh, catch, catch phrases and, and yeah. Yeah. But you know, there's a time and place for dumb entertainment. Mr. Goldenfold, uh, he works hard. He teaches a lot of dumb kids and he gets home and he just <laughs> wants to pass on in the couch and turn his brain off. So I, I, I don't begrudge him watching the show. I, I think I the thing that stands out to me is the sort of duality of Rick. You know, just like how he can hold kind of this one opinion on this other thing and this very different opinion on the thing in front of him that he likes. It's a good way to do kind of like very light, but also pointed like culture commentary sometimes, too, because like Rick, uh, a lot lot of times on Rick and Morty, something will be like, for example, in this one, uh, when they're going through the sex dungeon or the pleasure (laughs) chamber and Uh Rick's like, come on, Morty, you got to, you know, you got to be you got to loosen up. You you, you can't cause any waves because we'll be found out. And like, it's one of those things where, like, I've observed this even among like sex positive people. It's all fun and games until you hit their squick button. Yeah, until somebody starts yiffing and then right, like, oh, my God, it's like everything's cool except for like fuck furries or everything's cool except for if you call me daddy, it's over. If if, uh, everything's cool until find out this teacher in some hidden repressed level is sexualizing my sister slash granddaughter and then oh god this is not hitting on me this is not good yeah 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 and then like i love the centaur's line about uh you know sexual sexual hang-ups and or sexual shaming in the pleasure pit is punishable by death Uh um it's it's all really really funny and then like the fact that they just incept like it's also I thought that was brilliant too that like you first start with the teacher and then you go to the his favorite character from the TV show then you incept into the centaur the sex centaur and then mm-hmm. you try to incept into the scary dream girl and then you hit you know dream bedrock where <laughs> you've got scary terry and, and the idea of what scares scary terry is like these you know very universal things right and i uh also it seems like um one thing they were trying to suggest in his dream is that you've got this idea like scary terry is kind of like uh you know he's uh he he's this uh very young child and he's wild and free with the scares but he's got the scare professor and it's like trying to put him into mm-hmm. the nightmare in elm street box you know like, yeah that uh, bedrock sort of underlies everybody's dreams and fears and yeah nightmares yeah because like you know that's like uh i don't very often have nightmares but when it do when i do it surprisingly it's always about like my guidance counselor calling me at 40 and saying, Hey, we actually found out that you're a credit shy of graduating <laughs> oh, and you got to report to school to get your, like, and I'm like, what? it's always like super stressful. You know, yeah. I've never been like, you know what? Fucker, keep your diploma. I'm 40 and it's never been an issue yet. Flip birds. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, showing up with the uh, unprepared or with your pants off or when people are making fun of you and that's like some primal shit and it scares even scary Terry. Um, but also that like kind of a uh, gentle culture criticism I thought is also present in like, you know, scary Terry going home and it's like, uh, almost like, uh, like a cop drama where he's bringing his home to work and, you know, his, his wife's asking him how he goes and he's like, you know, calls her a bitch and she's like out there, yeah. not in here. And then he apologizes and it's like, yeah, you do the, <laughs> you do the subversion of like NYPD blue. And then you also kind of show how, but sometimes I wonder uh, does everyone read that as like what it like the plain reading, which is like, yeah, it's funny to do this, but also it's wrong. And the the end thing is it's funny because you see Scary Terry and his wife being so wholesome. But that's not like ironically wholesome. Like that's the way things should be, you know? Yeah, yeah. And th- that's a question. Like when you have these duality of characters, like where 
I, I don't know if it encourages you to sort of draw your own conclusions yeah. um, or if it's more trying to say that there's a little bit of that in all of us and we need to sort it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. But I, I also like how they sort of bring Inception and tie the two main stories together here at the end because we see that in order to get out of the predicament that he's created with Dog World or whatever we're going to call it, Dog Dimension, uh, he has to incept the dogs, mm-hmm. right? So so that kind of brings it back. And there's a lot of stuff around the B-plot here, what I would call the B-plot, uh, with pet ownership and, and whether that's right and yeah. how far you can go with that. And I find all that pretty fascinating, too, not as someone who doesn't own any pets. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing that now that you mention it is, like, uh, that's also... They subvert the Inception thing because the whole time Rick's like, you know, you got the the trick of Inception is you got to make it seem like it's the other guy's idea where the final Inception is literally scary Terry as a rocket coming forward and screaming. This is all because you gave Morty bad grades, bitch. I I think they're just saying this guy's a little dumb, but but like, (laughs) yeah, but the super intelligent snowball, he gets the actual Inception where they do it like they spend the whole year with him living in this dog dominated world and he's made Morty his pet, but then Morty mm-hmm. gets cancer and now he understands the, <laughs> you, you, you know, the, the, the human pet relationship, yeah. right? From the other side. It's yeah, it's really good. Yeah. And, uh, it, it is interesting. It is interesting because, you know, on the one hand, it's like, uh, you know, no one should be cruel to their pets. No one should be cruel to animals, but, uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting ethical dilemma. Like, you know, we've taken, like Snuffles watching the wolf documentary, mm-hmm. uh, I thought was really funny, just in the juxtaposition of him, you know, with his intelligence kind of ramping up. And it's like a story of like, look at these perfect killers that are feared and we've taken them and we've turned them into these little things. And, you know, Snuffles is also um, he's not the most impressive dog specimen. He's sure. not a Rottweiler. He's not a, he's not a pit bull. He's, yeah. he's just a Bichon Freeze or whatever. He's very fluffy and he's he's mm-hmm. got a nice uh, sparkling white coat. Um, but he's super smart and he builds himself a battle. But like that just, uh, you know, you saw like his face, like t- take a hard edge. Where it's like, oh, damn it. This is what we're supposed to, we're <laughs> supposed to be running this shit. Yeah. And the whole, you know, when he goes in, you know, where's my testicles? Uh, <laughs> snowball, you know, uh, snuffles is my slave name. Uh, it's, it's all, all pretty funny. Um, oh yeah. But also I- pretty poignant too. Cause like, yeah, if, if, if dogs were suddenly intelligent, they'd have a lot of fucking, we'd have a lot of fucking explaining to do. Absolutely. And you, it also comes at it from the other angle. The sort of duality of this is when Snuffles has Morty as a pet, mm-hmm. he's going to every length to try and prolong his life, to try mm-hmm. and save him, right? He's spending his kingdom into bankruptcy in order to do it. And I think there are a lot of pet owners out there like that too, mm-hmm. who very much respect their pets, who very much love their pets, uh, and would do anything for him. Yeah, I wrote I, above I, and beyond maybe what they would do for human beings in certain circumstances. I avoid going to the doctor at all costs because it's so fucking expensive. But I at one time wrote a mid four figures check to fish a corn <laughs> cob out of my dog's intestines. So Holy like, shit. I get it. I, yeah. I, I, I I get it. Um, but uh, I also thought that uh, the idea of having a planet with intelligent dogs uh, is a fun concept to have out there. Cause that's like, you know, that's floating out in the Rick and Morty universe. Like, will we ever see them again? This, uh... Yeah. So let me ask you what, so they go through a portal, right? Mm-hmm. Created by uh, Rick's portal gun. Seems like it. Yeah. Interdimensional travel. I assume they're going to another dimension, which is like the smart dog dimension where pet insurance is mandatory, as they say. Yeah. 
So I think that's another dimension that we're... Uh, yeah, I mean, you're right. It could be... I mean, because I think Rick's portal gun does both. It can displace you in time or space or even dimensionally. Hmm. Okay. Um, so, it seems to be evidenced on screen that, yeah, that's the case. Yeah. I mean, if he wants to be safe, I'd put him in another dimension so that they ever can't get back to this one uh, in case they ever, yeah. you know, like, uh, you know, Snowball, uh, if he's ever deposed in a more ruthless warlord dog is put in, you don't want to, mm-hmm. you don't want a dog ship uh, in, in, in orbit over Earth. <laughs> no. Uh, wanting to, to, to destroy, wanting to, to castrate us all. Uh, but it's you, you, the idea of like, where do you draw the line on pet ownership? Because, you know, we have hammered these dogs in these very malleable shapes. But, you know, a lot of people are asking questions about where's the line. Like, for example, New York State, I think just this week banned declawing cats. And hmm. like now, like docking dogs, tails and ears are becoming more and more gauche. And people are asking like certain breeds like, dude, they're. Do their muzzles have to be this short? These fuckers can't even breathe anymore. Or like uh, they're having joint and back problems because their legs are too long or their legs are too short and their body's too long. Like it's one thing to custom design these species for our entertainment and amusement. But can we do it at the cost of their health and and happiness and their ability to like function normally as a as a creature? And, you know, those are all all great questions to above and beyond. Is it ethical to keep another animal as like a a pleasure center. Uh, if we do do that, what's the ethical lines? Uh, and you know, it's again, very light exploration of that idea, but, uh, I, I think it's a good idea to treat your pet in a way that if they suddenly gained super intelligence, started asking tough questions, you'd have good answers for them. Hmm. Human music. I like it. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints. Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved the venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. 
And now it's time for a segment we call Plot to the Future, where we gaze into the dimension BM-77, where we can view behind-the-scenes details, trivia, and spoilers for future episodes. Jim, what are you, what are you seeing through the portal? Uh, I, there were a couple of things I had to look up in this episode. When they mentioned board-driven 11-minute uh, episodes thing yeah. uh, at the end, uh-huh. it, I, at first I thought, okay, that's just maybe a joke. But then I realized, no, oh, it's probably an insider writing joke. And so I went and I looked it up, and, and apparently there are two schools of animation, story-driven and board-driven. Uh, story-driven is very much like you write the whole story, you hand it off to the animators, they, they draw what's written on the page, product is done. Sounds like traditional television or movie writing, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and then there's board-driven uh, animation, which is sort of more collaborative. You, you kind of break the plot. You send it over to the animators. They kind of come up with visual gags, and then you come together and sort of write the actual dialogue and and what actually makes it to the screen. Yeah, the way and, I understand it is like you give them like a couple bullet points of the major plot points. They kind of riff and go wild on the visuals, and then there's a smoothing out. And of... you can absolutely see that this show is board driven. Sure, the, just the way that the visual gags integrate mm-hmm. uh, with the plot is top notch. And and the eleven minute part of that, I think you were saying. This is a tie-in to Justin Roiland's other Yeah, no, I work. think that uh, that this is uh, – because Adventure Time, I've heard, is exactly like that. First of all, the episodes are all 11 minutes yeah. long, and it's – you know, Justin Roiland is uh, one of the, 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 the guest-starring voices on that show. And, yeah, it's – Adventure Time, I love it because I, I you know, love watching it when my son was about six or seven when it was, you know, first out. And we could oh, watch yeah. it together because I got – I got something from it because there's some adult humor that's like not like filthy adult, but like sometimes filthy adult, but sophisticated adult that goes over his head. But then there's also times where like, you know, someone gets hot sauce dropped in their eye and they're screaming around. And yeah. it's like that's, you know, you can laugh at it as a six year old. You can laugh at it as a 36 year old. But yeah, that that's the reputation over there is that uh, Adventure Time is an 11 minute board driven uh, an- animated series. Um, I it's interesting because uh, this commentary, uh, last commentary oh, was boy. was pretty insightful. This one, uh, the entertainment value is in, inversely proportionate to its insight and information because yep. not only was it seem like everyone was incapacitated, uh, but they also mentioned that this was the second time they recorded the commentary for this episode because the se- the first one was so sloshed that they're like oh we can't how, how could it be any worse than this yeah because this was like uh every couple of minutes they would remember that they're supposed to be doing a commentary <laughs> and they'd get like 30 seconds into something yeah. and then someone would drop well, well, dan a beat. would dan would turn it into a joke about a beige wall yeah which provides no information right and that was the serious part and right. then they go back to the beatbox and and someone <laughs> drops the beatbox and it's suddenly like 80s like they were saying like it's uh you know uh like the fat boys style a old school beatbox rap uh, I mean, it's hilarious, but it's not informative. No, uh, the, not... the only piece of information I got out of that entire commentary mm-hmm. was that this was sort of two A plots that they they MacGyvered it together. Yeah. Um, and it actually worked pretty well, I thought, with the Inception stuff at the end. But yeah. th- this was not meant to be like, oh, here's our A plot, here's our B plot. There was also a line that talked about like illustrating, um, you know, Sexy Summer. Yeah, yeah. They're like we're trying to beat the internet at their own game because we know like rule 34 exists and there's going to be porn versions of all these characters. Yeah. So like right off the bat episode two, <laughs> boom, we've got a porn version of summer. What are you going to do? Um, That's good. That's good I also, stuff. There's, there's also kind of a, I thought this is a, a sly little reference because snowball, you know, is the lead heroic 
pig character from Animal Farm who leads the hmm. revolution of animalism and is instrumental to driving off the humans and running the farm. And uh, Kelsey Grammer, uh, who is of, you know, obviously Cheers and the Frasier fame, mm-hmm. voices Snowball in the 1999 film adaptation of, of Animal Farm. And he's the father of Spencer Grammer, who is the voice of Summer. Nice. So I thought it was an interesting little 360-degree Rick and Morty uh, uh, connection. Yeah. Um, they also mention that... Uh, this uh, the, the so they're making the joke about the it's a, it's a, it could be developed into a satisfying project. Yeah, I'd watch that for eleven minutes a pop. Um, the board driven Adventure Time thing, but it turns out that D- Dog World yeah. is a short that uh, Justin Roiland had developed for Cartoon Network back in like two thousand twelve. Yeah, and I when because I'd seen that before and I had assumed it was something he did. During like the like the downtime between season one and season two of Rick and Morty because it's got Rick and Morty music. It's right. uh, animation style seems like it's very similar to like the animatics I've seen come out of the Rick and Morty studio. Um, yeah, and, it's it's very rough. It's just like storyboards, minor animations. Yeah, it's it's literally like if you see the animatics from like the commentary, yeah. the, the the DVD, the Blu-rays uh, rather. Um, but. Uh, Actually, this predates Rick and Morty, yeah. and it donated its theme song to Rick and Morty for its theme song. And it had to be the inspiration for the the oh, half yeah. of this episode that was the pets. Oh yeah, so you can uh, that that actually is it's, it's readily available on the internet. I'm going to link uh, to one of the copies if you want to see Dog World because it's essentially kind of like uh, expanded. Uh, you know, interdimensional <laughs> cable episode of it's yeah. like they blew up an interdimensional cable episode interlude into a whole like 15 minute short. Um, yeah, I would, I would call it a grass is always greener type of story with, you know, humans as dog pets. Right. One thing I wanted to talk about kind of a follow up from a discussion of uh, yesterday about, uh, the question we had about Rick's Federation portal gun technology, um, because there's been a lot of fans that, that, you know, has noticed the kind of incongruity of later episodes where everyone's after Rick's portal technology, but here you got interdimensional travel, um, a lot of fans pointed out that Rick had like initially the portal is blue and then Rick like opens up the panel and does a whole bunch of shit to it. And then it turns green. So they're speculating that this, uh, even though it's called interdimensional travel, it's actually just opening up a portal like warp drive, which allows you warp drive. Doesn't allow you to go to different dimensions. It uses an interdimensional kind of tunnel to rapidly move you from one place in the universe to another. Hmm. So like the Federation has portal technology that can get you from one planet to the next, but you can't travel through time. You couldn't hop to different dimensions. Um, and I, I felt like that, that, that is kind of tracks. It's weird that Rick called it the interdimensional customs. Yeah. Um, but maybe he's just dumbing it down for Morty's sake, because it's not like you could see like if it's officially labeled as interdimensional customs in the episode, <laughs> because it's all alien languages. I feel like if he were dumbing it down for Morty, he would have told Morty. <laughs> Like, right. You're too stupid to understand, so just right. think of it as interdimensional. Right. This is this is just portal portal customs yeah. or inter intergalactic customs or something like that. But there but, is okay. uh, there's a little bit of uh, you know, uh, and, and fans are, are famous for this, trying to figure out uh, ways to get around retcons or like explain why the Klingons have vastly different foreheads in all the different series. Right. In the commentary tracks, they just own it. They're just like, yeah. we didn't think of it. Yeah. It was the beginning of the thing. It, pilot, it became something it. different. What do you want? <laughs> like, we're not prescient. 
Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's that's uh, what I was able to gather through uh, Portal BM seven the, the BM seventy seven. Pickle Me This is distributed by Bald Move in association with Starburns Audio. It's produced by Jason Smith and Scott Porch from Starburns, and myself, Manayron from Bald Move. All music featured on this podcast is from the Rick and Morty soundtrack, available from Sub Pop Records. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To discover the many other great shows we do, please check out baldmove.com and starburns.audio. If you appreciate what we do and want to directly support us, consider joining our club at club.baldmove.com to get access to exclusive bonus audio and video features. Finally, you can follow us on your favorite social media at Bald Move. See you next time.